Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Okay, let's get on with the show. We're, today we're starting something that is totally new. The reason we're this particular uh, series on the Ten Commandments were selected is because um, actually several months ago, Andy Stanley, who is a uh, who is Charles Stanley's son and the pastor of a mega church in the Atlanta area, they've had probably five different campuses and maybe twenty thousand people that he talks to every weekend wrote an article in, in, in Relevant Magazine, a Christian magazine. And in that magazine, he addressed uh, the, the, what was brought up for him about why Christians, the question was, why do Christians make such a big deal out of the Ten Commandments on different places in our country sitting around and they've tried to defend their presence, so on and so forth. And he actually said, and I'll quote it, uh, why don't, uh, that Christians uh, are no longer bound by the Ten Commandments and, and, and the quote says, they no longer apply to Christians. Now, the reason he said that is because in the New Testament, uh, we're told that uh, when uh, some bad guys came to Jesus trying to trick him, they said to him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered by quoting two passages in the Old Testament that said, and, that, and his answer was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two hang all the rest, which means, when he said it, is... Uh, a part of the Ten Commandments talk about your relationship with God and a part of the relationship, second part, have a relationship with one another because the way we prove we love God is by the way we treat each other. And so uh, that was the answer. And even his adversaries said to Jesus, you've answered right. That, that's good. They very seldom agreed with him. And so we decided that... Uh, that probably Andy Stanley, who has, who is really busy, let's put it like that, and he is not a scholar, but he's a superb communicator. I mean, just he's better really a communicator than his father, but he's not as good a Bible teacher as his father. For those of you, because I watch him about every Sunday morning, his daddy. I've been to Andy's church, several of us have, and, uh, and know him casually, but not well. And as a result, of, I think he made an honest mistake, even though there are things going on at their church that I just strongly disagree with. For instance, last Christmas, they had a Christmas program, and in order to be relevant to their community, the Christmas program used foul language in the bus. That, that just doesn't sit well with me, to be honest with you. I see no, ex the Bible doesn't give anybody permission to be like the world in order to appeal to the world. 
The Bible says just that, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I, I have got some difficulties with that, but uh, he'll have to work that out with the Lord because he's not answerable to me and he ought to be glad. Now, but so we need to talk about the Ten Commandments, and, and, and this is the first one that we're going to look at. And it is, it, it, Matthew actually gave it the title, God and God Alone. He's the only one. Actually, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament are located in two different places. You can find them in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus and the 5th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. We chose, for time's sake, just to use the 20th chapter of, of, uh, of Exodus that reads like this. And by the way, uh, I struggled with this last night, and, uh, and I will today too, so I might as well let you know ahead of time. We've changed some of these lights up here, and we've replaced the regular lights with uh, LEDs. And, and the fact of the matter is, I can't see very well as a result of that. I've got these little lights over here on my outline. I can see it just fine. But over here on the Bible, I, I need another one. So we're going to order another one. They cost 20 bucks. So if you could help, help us out there. I mean, all, all you got to do is look and see how things are. So that I need it on the other side too. Simply because the, the propaganda about LEDs is simply not true. It is true that they last longer, they don't use as much juice, but they don't give as much light either. And that's just a fact, and I'm living testimony to that. So, but anyway, they're trying to save money, and, and that goes with it. But here's the way that it, that it reads, and I'll kick it up here so I can see it better. The Lord spoke all these words. This is Moses recording this in the 20th chapter of Exodus, if you want to follow along in the NIV. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And that word before probably should be better translated other than me. I'm it, she's saying. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so he is, he's telling this, uh, what he's telling us, if you, as my follower, and, and was he talking to just Israel? And I'm saying no, because all the Ten Commandments except remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy are recorded in the New Testament as well. Now, there, there are differences. We're no longer bound by a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament. If it did, some of you'd have to leave. You, if you got a tattoo on you, you'd, you're out of here. Because it specifically says in the Old Testament, not allowed to have tattoos. And uh, uh, I, I won't get into that. I'm just telling you that there's a lot. Yeah, I will too. I, tell, I, I had threatened to have a tattoo put on my butt, but my wife, uh, she wouldn't allow it because that way nobody could see it. See, But anyway, just I wasn't going to do it anyway. But 
just crossed my mind. I thought I'd share it with you. Now, so the Ten Commandments were given to us, uh, and, and now you want to go to the ninth chapter of the, um, of the book of Deuteronomy. And I have a lot of scripture because I want to make sure we're there. So you can be turning to the ninth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy for where we're going next. In the meantime, understand that we're a New Testament church. You have the Old Testament called the, in the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews called the Old Covenant because the word for covenant, will, and testament is all the same word. All the same word. I mean, you can translate the, the Hebrew or the Greek word uh, with any one of these three words. because, And you know that if you have a will. Because if you go to an attorney, and you should, you can get them off the internet. And if it's real simple, well, you could do it that way. But if it's at all complicated, you better go to an attorney. Everybody needs a will. If for no other reason to keep your kids from hating each other. Have it spelled out. Let them know ahead of time. Blah, 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 blah. But if you go, it'll say the last will and testament because it's all the same, it's all the same word. And now in between the old covenant, the old testament, and the new covenant is the is the ministry of Christ. And so you, you actually have three different dispensations, they like to call them. Uh, and and so uh, I understand where Andy is coming from. I think he just made an honest mistake. Because the Ten Commandments, you have to say, you have to ask yourself this question when you interpret the Bible and you go to the Old Testament or you go to the Gospels for the ministry of Christ. You have to ask your question, is he talking about the kingdom of God or is he just talking about Israel or is he just talking about the church? And when he gave the Ten Commandments, it's obvious since they were repeated in the New Testament that he was talking about the kingdom of God and not just Israel in the Old Testament, even though it did apply to Israel for sure. Now then, I think it will be of some interest to you to see how this whole thing took place in the giving of the Ten Commandments. Um, here in the ninth chapter, uh, and uh, we'll just do verse 10 for the fun of it, for the time's sake. It says, the Lord gave me, and this is Moses recording this, the Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. In other words, he was saying, I didn't do it. God did it and then gave it to me, and I bring it down then to Israel. And it's interesting to me, how did, you, how did God do that? truth of the matter is we don't know but it's interesting in the film the ten commandments uh how they depicted that and the whole thing and uh, alice Kay has always loved the ten commandments because she loved uh, charlton heston in fact she told me when uh, he actually came to to portsmouth years ago when he was president of the nra and it cost me like 200 bucks that i didn't have for her to go see him. It was up at the uh, monastery up on the hill. And so she goes up there, and she has her picture made with Charlton Heston, you know, standing like this. And, and if he'd put his arm around her, I'd have used something from the NRA to shoot him, but that did. And, and she actually came back and said this later on. She said, you know, if it turns out that Moses is homosexual, I'm going to quit the church. And 
just pass that along to you to let you know who she is. Now, did you ever wonder what it meant, if you, if you knew it said it, when the Bible says here in, the tenth, in, in verse 10 of chapter 9 in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, it was written by the finger of God. And, and here's how the cinematographers uh, went to the trouble to show us their concept of how that was done for the original Ten Commandments. Look like this. obvious that uh, they sort of figured that God was kind of using a laser, for lack of a better term, even though that was done back in the 50s, uh, believe it or not. Now, that's the first group, and Moses brings those down, and he finds the people were with that golden calf, and they were just wilder than a bunch of deer. They were, they were wild enough to shoot at so he takes the Ten Commandments and in anger just breaks them up and grinds them up, chops them up, puts them in water and makes them drink it. That was their Kool-Aid. And now then, the Ten Commandments didn't exist. So here's the way God had them to do it. And here now then, uh, we go to the, um, uh, back to Exodus the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus. And we find out, starting at verse 15, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. That's the Ten Commandments. They were called the, the tablets of testimony. 
they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on tablets. Okay, so we, we, we know that to be true. Now, if you go back again to the 10th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, we, we have now addressed what he did to replace them. Starting at verse 1, it says this, At that time the Lord said to me, Moses talking, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and bring them up to me on the mountain. In other words, the first ones were written by the finger of God. The second, the, the duplicates were made by Moses since he knew what was on them and they were chiseled out. Now it's sometimes referred to as the Decalogue, which just literally translated means ten words. And probably initially... All of the information that we have in our Bible were, was not on those stone tablets. They were, it was probably just ten words. God alone, or, you know, whatever the Hebrew would be for that, because I don't know Hebrew. Uh, and, and adultery and stealing and so on, blah, 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 blah. And here's what he goes on to say. Now here's what, here, you're to chisel these out, and I'll approve them. Also, he said... I'm reading on, make a wooden chest. Now, this wooden chest is called for Israel the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, keep in mind this. He said, I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Then you are to put them in the chest, in the Ark of the Covenant. So I made the Ark, he said, out of the acacia wood, chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones, and I went up into the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. Now, and, and the Lord then uh, put on them the words that were on the first one, is the way that it reads in these first three verses, first four verses, really. And then these were put in the Ark of the Covenant, and Israel carried those things around forever. Now, sooner or later, you're going to be asked a, a, a biblical question. And the question is, what were the things in the Ark of the Covenant, in this acacia box? There were three things that were kept in it. One you already know, copies, the second copy of the Ten Commandments. The second one was, if you've watched the Ten Commandments, and if you want to watch it, then you can't get it on one of those things on television. I've got a copy you're perfectly welcome to take and look at and bring back, bring back after you're through with them. Now, the second thing that was in them uh, was the uh, rod of Moses, or the staff of Moses that he then gave to Aaron, and it was referred to as the rod of Aaron that budded. And the third one was a jar of manna. I've always thought that was kind of funny because the, jar, the manna that was given to them when they were looking for something to eat in the desert, they said, just take enough for today because this stuff will rot on you. I, I, I could just think of what that... Uh, uh, because we, we get bread, and, and if we don't use it enough, that we, it gets moldy that we get down at Kroger's. And uh, I can say that since Jim's retired. I'm not talking about it. <laughs> and, 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 and I think, it, I wonder what that stuff looked like after about three months. I bet that was tasty-looking stuff. Uh, but anyway, those are the three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant 
And all of them stood for something. We don't have time for that. Now then, let's talk about the God that existed here that was because Israel had been in bondage down in the Delta area called Goshen in Egypt for 430 years. And during that 430 years, instead of them being an influence on the Egyptians, the Egyptians were an influence on them. And the New Testament warns us that's a problem we have too. Because the church is to be an influence on our culture and not the other way around. I think that's where Andy Stanley made his mistake. Now, and so the Bible teaches very clearly that God of the Israelites, the God on the mountain of Horeb, Horeb is the, is the one peak on the Sinai mountains in the southern part there of the Sinai Peninsula. And Mount Horeb was referred to as the holy mountain. It's actually a volcanic type thing. And many of us have, have been there. Uh, Ralph, if I remember right, because I got sick and, and couldn't go up there, I think they leave around midnight in order to get up there around sunup. Isn't that about right? And uh, anyhow, they had gotten used to pagan temples, and in those pagan temples would be a whole plethora of gods. There'd be a sun, one for the sun, one for the moon, one for sex, one for this. Everything that you can think of, they had a god for in those pagan temples. And the local gods, they would have some local gods that were important. Um, you will see in just a moment uh, that the, the god that got them in a heap of trouble at the foot of Mount Horeb was the local god uh, for the city of Memphis that was on, located upriver from, uh, from Goshen, uh, upriver on the Nile. But the Bible clearly teaches that God isn't like any of those things in those pagan temples. Why? Because he is alive. He's a living God. And these were idols made by human hands. Made by humans for the purpose of giving humans the freedom to do whatever they cock-eyed well pleased. Because that's how man really is. So here in the 8th chapter, for instance, of the book of Deuteronomy, in verse 10, it's, it, uh, it says the following. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And so be careful and don't forget that the Lord your God and, and, and falling, uh, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees, and so on and so forth. Because he goes on to say in Exodus 10, as, as, when he's addressing the same problem of people obeying the true and the living God as opposed to the pagan gods that are there, he says here in, um, in chapter 8, and this is one of the things you have to be patient with me on here because of the low light. In verse 10, he says, and Moses replied, I will be as you say, so that you may know that no one is like the Lord our God. So they're being taught that God of the Israelites, the true and the living God, is totally unique when compared to gods made with human hands. You following that so far? That, that makes sense to you so far? So there's no one like him. And when you go to the 18, 86th chapter 
uh, 86th Psalm, it, it, it would be in, in verses 8, 9, and 10, it goes into great length and say, you know, there are all these other gods, but you alone are God as, compo- as opposed to human-made things that people have a tendency to bow down before. Now, Israel was constantly reminded by God through the priests of who the living God really was. And they developed, and every child from the time that he could talk was taught what they call the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. It's found in the sixth chapter, the fourth verse, and it's just very short. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, as opposed to all of those gods that are found in a pagan temple or on the streets or wherever that Israel had been exposed to for 430 years. And so the oneness of God, is, even that concept, is carried over into the New Testament, especially in the, in the city of Ephesus where the goddess Diana was such a big deal for them. And, uh, and, and so in, in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, you know, he, he goes to the trouble, Paul goes to the trouble, say, hey, look, guys, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is in and through you all. There's the, he, the, God is one, just like the Shema said in the Old Testament. He's not many, he's one. Even though he's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he is God. And, and so, and, and that's a mystery that we have yet to understand. Why? Because the Bible also teaches, and if you go to the 55, uh, Isaiah 55, it also teaches that God is so great, that, and we have a limited capacity to understand Him. He is so far above us. His ways are not our ways, and His ways are so far above us, His thoughts are so far above us, that they're even beyond our understanding. And, and so he's really saying, you know, and so he's the only one worthy of your worship because he created you and put you here. You created the other gods and put them here. So which is more important? And he is saying, and I'm number one because, and I'm the only one. And he said, as I read to you there in the 20th chapter, And don't take it lightly, because I'm a jealous God, and I punish those through judgment who choose not to obey me. Now, let me stop here with a little preachy-type stuff. You and I live in a culture that puts God down here somewhere, and a lot of other things up here. And we have to really be careful. Women have a difficult time putting God above your children. I understand that. But you're making a serious mistake. Parents, in many instances, put athletics before God. And it's gotten progressively worse. Let me just take a second to explain It was easy for me growing up because we didn't have that tension growing up. The local schools have taken over the lives of our children. 
this is not good. I can tell you that growing up, we never had that problem. The schools would never have had anything on a Wednesday night, much less a Sunday. Never. Wednesday night was prayer meeting night, and God helped the school board that tried to do differently. That was absolutely not violated. Now today, they don't give a kitty. I'll bet you, without knowing, I haven't checked, I'll bet you there are ball games going on with it raining outside, and there's still soccer or softball or something going on now, and parents feel threatened by their children and by their community if they don't get their kids there. Now, what we have to think about is, what is that saying to our children? Which is more important? And, and, and you all know I love athletics. I love basketball. I don't like football because they tried to, a football player at Eastern Kentucky tried to steal my woman. So I, I don't like football players. I just think they're big dummies. She, she made the right choice. There are times when we could negotiate that, but generally speaking, I, I think that's the right way to go. Anyway, we just have to really be careful, and there are, are some really good books out that address that without being really mean and judgmental, and I'm not meaning to be that way either, because I know the pressure that parents are under by the coaches and by the schools and so on and so forth, and that's the reason I'll tell you this on, as an aside. It'll never happen, but if I won the lottery, we'd start a Christian school here of the highest quality where we wouldn't have to put up that foolishness. We'd have excellent athletic programs and so on and so forth, but God would be first, and the parents would know that because I'm convinced that one of the problems that we face in losing seven out of ten of our children when they go to a, to a state-sponsored school is because we have taught them wrong by example. And this culture, this, this generation that we're in now will be held accountable for that, I'm afraid. And we do reap what we sow. Now then, let's, God has always had competition. The true and the living God has always had competition. And uh, it, it started off that way. When Israel was at the foot of Mount Sinai, at uh, the foot of Mount Horeb, in all that period of time, Moses was up there for, you know, for over a month, and they said, well, he ain't coming back. The God of the mountains had just beaten him up. He's, he's not coming back. And so they did what people do. They created their own God. And he was really the God of the city of Memphis that some way or another they, but, and, and it was, well, let's see what it looks like, and then we'll go on. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, they gathered themselves together. Well, make a god for us. A god of gold. A golden calf! Korah shall be the high priest. Bring baskets, buckets, jaws, anything you have. Break off your earrings. Yeah, your bracelets, your necklaces. We will make them of a golden calf. The golden fires we took from Egypt. And the people sinned a great sin, for they had made them a god of gold. And they bore him upon their shoulders and rejoiced, 
saying, This be our God, O Israel. Are you mourners of Moses afraid to face the new God of gold? They were as children who had lost their faith. They were perverse and crooked and rebellious against God. They did eat the bread of wickedness and drank the wine of violence. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the people cried, The graven image hath brought us joy. And they worshipped the golden calf and sacrificed unto it. Believe it or not, the residue of that calf worship in Egypt, you still see it celebrated today. On your television, once a year, you'll see the running of the bulls in Spain. That is a carryover, believe it or not, historically, a carryover from the calf worship and the bull worship and the and because it was really a sexual thing. And these people were having all kinds of orgies. The New Testament clearly says this in the fifth chapter of the book of Colossians. Put to death in our own lives whatever things belong to our earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put them to death. See, what they did is they opted to sensualism. That's what I like to call it because I think it's really what it is. And be careful, folks. Listen to me now carefully. As I used to say, hear me now. The church has problems with that even yet today. We have a tendency at times to try to determine truth by the way we feel and not by the way we know. The New Testament says that what we need is to get our thinking right and our emotions will fall in line. There's an old song that says, Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. The problem is you can't feel the Spirit of God. People think you can, but it's a false doctrine. Every, every false teaching that I have ever known in my lifetime was generated on the purpose of appealing to the emotions of people so it makes you feel good. And the false doctrine of today in the health and wealth gospel is all related to feelings. The Bible says it is by the renewing of your mind. Get your thinking right. Learn what God says and then commit to doing it is the way that it's done. Is it easy? No, it isn't easy. But it's right. For you see, false gods and false teaching can be impressive. If you were to go back into the, the book of Deuteronomy, and I probably won't get done here, but I'm, I'm going to get as far along as I can, and I may skip a little get there because I bit off more than I can chew. Here in the 13th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, they, were, they said you've got to be careful now to Israel because false religion is impressive. Here's the way it reads. Verse 1, starting at verse 1, 13th chapter, book of Deuteronomy. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, 
Or if a sign or a wonder of which he has spoken takes place and he says, let's follow other gods, gods you haven't known, and let's worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commandments and obey him and serve him and hold fast to him. You stay faithful to the Lord by holding on for dear life in times of great temptation. You do. And we've all been there and done that if you lived any period of time at all. Now the same concept is repeated in the New Testament in the book of 2 Thessalonians. It is here in chapter 2, starting at verse 9, that says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. You love the truth by knowing what the truth is. We live in a culture that says there ain't no such thing as the truth. Everybody has their own truth. You've been smoking dope if you believe that. Now, so, you know, and, and, God, and the Bible says, it goes on to say, if you follow that line of thinking, you're following what the devil uses is a, is a powerful delusion. It's impressive. If somebody were to come to this town and raise the dead, people would flock to that sucker like, uh, you know, and then he'd fleece your pocketbooks and get your IRAs and leave town. Now, Satan approaches each of us and the church because he knows what the area of our weaknesses are, and all of us have it. Now, they're not all the same. Some people have one area of weakness. It may be money. Another over here, most men have a problem one time or another with a classy chassis of a good-looking woman. You know, when Satan approached Eve in the garden, he approached her because he already knew that she was really, she had a weakness. And that weakness was, she could be tempted to be a goddess. Because when the Lord, when, when Satan, and this is in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 6, I just, because I, I want to move on here. He approached her on the basis, you can't believe what God is telling you, because once you do, you eat the fruit that he said you can't even touch. If you do, you'll be like him. And you'll understand and know things you don't know now. You'll be like God. Then there are other areas where he said we have, where people, we make terrible mistakes. Now listen to me, mommy and daddy. Because you're going to be faced with this if you've got kids. And it ain't going to be easy. The Bible teaches, both in the 34th chapter of the book of Exodus and in the New Testament it's in 2 Corinthians the 6th chapter it tells us you better be careful who you marry 
I've found this out through the years the hard way. Men, too often, are more impressed with, the woman, with what the woman they sleep with thinks than what God thinks. And vice versa. And the Bible, that's a sermon for a different day, but it's certainly there. The Bible says, really be careful who you marry. Really be careful who you marry. In the, it's both in the Old Testament and in the New. In the Old Testament, Israel was told this. And then we'll go to the New Testament in just a second. Here in the 34th chapter of the book of Exodus, in verses 15 and 16, he says this. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. In other words, he was saying, don't marry outside of your faith. We don't pay any attention to that because we say it's all marriage should be done because you have warm and fuzzy feelings for a girl with a classy chassis or the boy drives a Porsche or whatever. I was, I've always kidded and said the reason Alice Kay chased me and caught me was because I had a 1953 Ford Victoria with sexy lights in the back seat and she just chased me till she caught me. That ain't hardly the truth, but it's a good story. But we are really impressed with things like that. In the New Testament, in the sixth chapter of 2 Corinthians, it says this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have to have in common? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? Or what harmony is there between Christ and the devil? What does a believer have in common with unbelievers? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. If we allow our emotions to dictate our behavior, our culture says, that's fine. The Bible says, be careful. Be careful, because who you sleep with can carry more influence than the living God if you're not careful. And besides that, natural man hates rules. I was coming out of the house the other day, went to my car, was getting ready to back it out on a one-way thing, and here comes a guy driving down the wrong way on a one-way and I looked at the guy kind of like, who in the heck are you? He rolls down the window. I knew him really well. He smiled at me and said, I really don't like rules. And kept going. He's just being honest. Now, he, he's not a believer, and, and he's, his family and I are friends, but 
we're that way. Let's keep moving in the next two minutes. I've got to do some things. Okay. God created humankind in his own image. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God looks like us because in the New Testament we're clearly told when Jesus was talking with the woman at the well in Samaria that God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We need to understand that when God created us, he created a spiritual being and then clothed it in flesh. And death is the laying aside of the flesh so that we can get to heaven because in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians it says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So the real person that lives in the flesh is freed to be a spiritual person to go live in the presence of a spiritual God for eternity. But it's necessary to lay aside this tabernacle of the flesh. The redeemed, you see, are eternal. And God created us as spiritual beings. Now, here's our problem. We are flesh and blood until we die. And the flesh and blood has a tendency to be selfish. And, God, and Satan takes advantage of that and pulls us in one direction according to our weakness. And the Spirit of God, when we're born again, pulls us in the direction of following Jesus. And we're caught in that war. That's the reality of living in this world today. The same problem existed with Israel. And God said to Joshua, Joshua, you have to choose who you're going to serve if you're going to lead my people and succeed Moses. And Moses and Joshua said, and we need to say, as for me and my house, We'll serve the Lord. We have to make that choice. And there will be times when we fail. There will be times of weaknesses where who we run around with or who we marry or who we go into business with or whatever creates real problems for us. But we need to choose to serve our God because he's the only one who can offer us eternal life. The others offer us temporary pleasure and death. I think life is better. So, Lord, I ask your blessing upon this gathering this morning. Help us, O oh God, to choose you and follow you. And when one of us trips our toe, to give everybody else, give them a hand and lift them up and encourage us on. Bless this gathering of people, Lord. Help us to be an influence for you on our culture. Wherever we find ourselves is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Girls, don't, remember, don't forget you've got a Bible study this coming Thursday. You better learn something about Naomi. Other than that, hit the bucket and go home. Christ Community Church. 
located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.